Well, hello again, friends. It's great to see you today on uh, wonderful Thursday afternoon. I hope that you have had a, uh, a good week. Uh, these are difficult times, uh, as you know. I don't have to tell you that. I think everybody is very much aware of that. Lots of concerns in our nation, lots of concerns in our communities, and lots of concerns in our churches uh, as well. I appreciate so many of you who communicate that you are praying uh, for us and that you uh, continue to serve. And what a blessing I know that um, I know that you are. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 21 today as we uh, kind of uh, don't, it's really not the beginning of the home stretch yet. That might be uh, a little bit further down the road. But the events that we read about today are really the events that uh, bring about this last section of the book of Acts. Ultimately, uh, Paul, as you know, in chapter 27, uh, will be on a ship bound for Rome because as a Roman citizen, one of his rights is to uh, appeal to Caesar, and that's, um, that's what he uh, will do. And, uh, and so uh, he ends up in Rome under house arrest, and that's where Luke leaves volume two of his two-volume set, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Uh, whether there's a volume three somewhere that's not extant, what that word means is that we don't have it available anymore. It's lost. Um, maybe. Uh, maybe it was not uh, something that Luke ever got around to writing, uh, but it's also uh, um, uh, possible that he did, and it just wasn't inspired scripture the way the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are. And so that's where we'll end up in this uh, study of Acts, but we're still a few chapters away from that. So got a couple of three weeks to go still, uh, but it's nice to see some of my friends and family joining us. Uh, Joy Alexander, hello to you. Great to see you. Lenny and Joe are here. Eric and Cindy are here. Um, and great to see my cousin Gail, uh, who is here, and wonderful uh, support and encouragement uh, that I get in these Bible studies all around. A little commercial as we begin. Some of you may have noted an announcement that I made uh, just yesterday, I think, or the day before on my page that I will be starting another study, not stopping this one, but I will be starting another Bible study on Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. right here on this Facebook page. Uh, if you want to watch it live, that's when it'll be live on the book of Philippians, uh, Finding Joy in Difficult Times. That's the title of the study, and it will be, it'll be a little bit different, somewhat similar. Uh, we'll be, instead of covering a whole chapter each time, we're going to be covering shorter passages. I'll look at the study going about 30 minutes from 4 to 4.30 uh, Central Time on Sunday afternoons, but uh, we also will be broadcasting it on our webpage, on our live stream page at our website, which is westerwin.com, and then you click on our social media and resources, and you find uh, where it says live stream, and that's uh, where it will be. That is also where our 10 a.m. worship service is live, on Sunday mornings, and then it goes into archives, and so the Philippian study will automatically go there, and it will be broadcast at 6 p.m. Central Time on Sunday evenings there, and also on our Facebook, uh, West Irwin Live Facebook page, and so that will begin this coming Sunday. Uh, this study will continue on, as I said, and we'll have a Tuesday-Thursday study throughout the rest of this summer, and uh, as we continue on through the book of Acts. And then in the fall, I plan on continuing up. I mean, you know, why stop a good thing, right? 
so whatever happens, I think uh, these studies have been uh, profitable for me. I hope they've been helpful and encouraging uh, to you as well. So a uh, little bit of commercial time. You know, we have to pay for this. We have to get our sponsors in. So, so there you go. At least it's not, you know, some attorney's uh, office. Not that they're bad. They're great. But we see a lot of commercials on those. Uh, at our house in the early evening and uh, and lots of other fun commercials. So uh, at any rate, I know you don't need an attorney. You probably don't want to buy a car. Uh, but if you're interested in a Bible study, have I got a deal for you. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m. right here. And, uh, and then you can watch it later if you want. It'll stay on my page, also on our West Irwin Church of Christ page and live page and our, and our website page. But then on Sunday afternoons, uh, at uh, 4 p.m. right here and then at 6 p.m. Uh, in those other areas uh, as well as our 10 a.m. Uh, worship service. We've had some technical difficulties as you likely know the last couple of Sundays but uh, our wonderful crew has uh, figured out a good way to have an alternative way of doing that and so we expect this Sunday to have all of those issues taken care of and uh, look forward to being with everybody uh, worshiping our great God and King this coming Sunday. I'm going through a series on the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you've ever had a series on the Lord's Prayer, but that's what we're doing on Sunday mornings, and it's been very uh, helpful to me. It's been encouraging to a lot of people, I believe, and uh, and so these next two weeks, uh, this Sunday and the next Sunday, we're going to look at the statement out of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Uh, that's this Sunday and next Sunday, so I hope that you'll join us for those as well. Okay, enough of the word from our sponsors. Um, let's get into Acts 21. We're in the third mission journey, as you know, and we left Paul uh, meeting with the Ephesian elders, the elders from the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. He didn't want to go to Ephesus the last time he went, as you know, in Acts 19. Uh, things didn't go so well, and uh, it ended up being a riot, and uh, the whole town was in uproar, and and Paul nearly got uh, killed from it all. but uh, And so this time he decides to just send for the elders from the church there at Ephesus. And they come out and meet him uh, on this uh, island of Miletus, just a little bit off the coast of uh, the Mediterranean coast, off of uh, uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, the Roman province of Asia. Uh, and a very emotional meeting, as you know. Uh, we saw that. He was It was a wonderful thing for Paul to get to spend time with those brothers. But... Boy, it was hard on them, and he warned them about it, difficulties that they were going to face. He reminded them to shepherd the church of God, which Christ purchased with his own blood, Acts 20, verse 28. And he also told them that he didn't think that he would ever get to see any of them ever again. And that was something that was very hard for all of them, and they just wept, they knelt, they prayed. Uh, and then uh, at the beginning of uh, this chapter, uh, how Luke records it is when we finally tore ourselves away from each other. Uh, a very heartfelt, emotional meeting for sure. So you would hope that things would maybe settle down, that Paul would have some time to regroup a little bit. Uh, not so, not to be. Um, it, he would just be faced with more difficulties everywhere he goes as he continues on towards Jerusalem, and that's his plan, uh, and that's where this trip will end. He says, um, people come up to him and say to him, it's going to be bad for you. It's going to be bad for you there. Please don't go. Please don't go. And we see that here um, in this chapter as well. Um, so if you want to find your handy-dandy uh, 
Paul's third mission journey map. Uh, and you'll see where we are. He has been on, on Miletus. He has met with those Ephesian elders. And now he's going to uh, come around. He's going to uh, uh, not stop in, uh, in uh, Cyprus. And, and he's going to keep going on uh, between um, uh, Crete and Cyprus and kind of uh, just juggle through that area. And the ship takes him uh, to the western edge of uh, Syria. And he won't get to go to Antioch um, this time. He won't get to have that big mission Sunday where he talks to this, his sponsoring congregation about all the wonderful things that, that he and, and Silas and Timothy and others, Luke, have done on this trip. And some of the ones he picked up along the way, some of those who were from Macedonia, um, as, we have, as we saw. But um, instead, it, it gets cut short. But he does get to Syria, uh, but only to uh, the city of Tyre. That's a historic city. If you're familiar with Old and New Testament, you know Tyre and Sidon, and those were some of the enemies of the Jews, uh, the Syrians were. And, and so that's where Paul uh, lands, um, in uh, Tyre and Sidon and Syria and Phoenicia, and he doesn't get to go north to Antioch. Instead, he's going to go uh, south uh, and end up in Jerusalem, <clears throat> where he will be uh, ultimately arrested. So if you're on, if you find that on your map, then you kind of see where we are as we begin Acts chapter 21. When we are is um, in, in uh, the year of our Lord 57, uh, which was the year I was born, actually. Uh, so it's kind of special to me to read this part of what Paul's doing because you know he's doing lands here about 57 in the common era i was born in 57 as well um 19 centuries later of course i'm old but i'm not that old come on give me a break uh but yeah 1957 a great year for chevys and preachers is what i always say uh but 57 uh in the first century is where we are right now as paul goes on this mission journey uh, throughout around 52 or so to 58, 59, um, before it is abruptly ended, as we said. Uh, okay, so enough of stalling, Bill. Let's get into Acts 21. Remember, it begins uh, at the end of that emotional meeting and setting with Paul and the Ephesian elders. So chapter 21 of Acts, verse 1. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, and that's where they're going to end up, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. That's where they are now. They're in Tyre. Um, we sought out the disciples there, verse 4, and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. And they're going to take a ship and go to Caesarea. And then they'll uh, ultimately go across land uh, to uh, Jerusalem. And that's where, uh, that's where things will get a little dicey. This passage is a great passage, and if you 
you know, it's not one of those that you would think to turn to and read, but it is so, so very powerful. Of course, Paul's travels, it gives us, Luke in his detail, uh, gives us some of the stops along the way. But then when he does get to, uh, to Syria and to Tyre, um, that's where they land. And verse 4 is a great verse. We sought out the disciples. That is such a great statement. Many of you will do that exact same thing on your travels. Many of you have traveled a lot. We had a lot of Air Force friends uh, in San Antonio where our hometown, Joyce and my hometown, and a, a lot of our church, uh, a lot of our community down there, and still uh, had some association with the military. And back then, uh, as we were growing up in the 50s and 60s and 70s, it was, there was a lot of Air Force families. My family was an Air Force family. And as they, uh, as, they would, as they would travel, those who were members of the church, they would do exactly what Paul and his party do here. They would, they would seek out the disciples. They would find out where the church was meeting, and then they would go, they would go on. My dear friends, uh, the late Richard and uh, uh, Carolyn Smith in San Antonio, loved them so much, and Richard was such a, such a powerful, powerful influence. Wonderful man, wonderful spirit, great Bible spirit class teacher, uh, great song leader, uh, retired uh, major general, and um, passed away not very long ago, and our hearts go out continually to Carolyn and to the girls, but we, um, we, I remember talking to them and uh, talking to Richard uh, one time. Carolyn's still a very dear friend in my heart, even though I haven't talked to her in a good while. Um, uh, uh, Richard would say, you know, Bill, when we go somewhere, and we travel, and they did a lot of traveling as an Air Force officer. He said, we would, we would seek out the church. We would seek out the disciples. And he said, we would do our very best to go to whichever church was the closest to us. And if you're not going to be there for long, and you have no idea how long that's going to be, then that's, that's great advice. And that's what they would do. And they would be as active as they could be with the church wherever they were. And, and Paul does the same thing here. They land in Tyre. And verse 4 says, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. So they were able to go to church together. They were able to work together through the week and, and visit and encourage and teach, but then they were also able uh, to assemble together with the gathering of the church, just as he did at Troas in Acts 20, verse 7. Uh, on the first day of the week, we gathered together uh, to break bread, to observe the Lord's Supper, to sing, to pray, to uh, to hear some preaching, which Paul did in Acts chapter 20 at Troas. And, and here they seek out the disciples, and they find them, and they stay with them for a week and encourage them. I'm sure Paul needed a lot of encouragement as well after everything that he's already gone through. And little did he know, but he, he expected what he was about to go through. Uh, through the Spirit, the end of verse 4, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Everywhere he goes. People are going to tell him. Sometimes he's going to run into a prophet who's going to tell him, such as we'll see here in a little bit. It's not going to go well for you, Paul. It's not going to go well. There's going to be bad things that are going to happen to you down the line if you keep going to Jerusalem. But Paul was undeterred. He would continue to go. And here they warn him again, please don't go, please don't go. And yet it was time to leave <laughs> in verse 5. And so they left and continued on, our way, on their way. And then I love this part in the middle of verse 5. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. 
they had landed in Tyre. They were going to take a, a, another trip to uh, across uh, a part of the Mediterranean Sea uh, down south and land at Caesarea, a very important Roman city, and um, uh, uh, officially a, a headquarters of, of Judea, of that area, for the Romans. Um, but before they go, just as he did with the Ephesian elders in, in the previous chapter, uh, he meets with the church. They all come out. They all go out to send him off, and, and they all stop and kneel and pray uh, right there on the beach just before uh, Paul gets on the ship, and they uh, depart for Caesarea. What an incredible thing. I mean, they, they've heard the stories all week of what's happened to Paul. They've, they've heard him say, everywhere I go, I'm being told, don't go to Jerusalem. You're, it's going to be bad, and it's not going to go well for you. And, and, and here they do the same thing. Please don't go. Please don't go. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going. I'm ready for whatever the Lord chooses uh, to happen to me. Um, life or death, as he tells the Philippians in Philippians 1, this great book that we're going to be studying on, on Sundays beginning this Sunday. Did you see how I worked that in there? Um, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's what he says. If I die, gain. I get to be in heaven with the Lord. If I live, it's service here on the earth uh, in the name of Christ. And, and that's how he felt. That's how he felt as he wrote those words to the Philippians uh, from jail uh, in Rome, likely at the end while he was serving out that um, uh, being incarcerated at, at home in a home in Rome. Um, here they kneel and they pray, and everyone does, men, women, and children. They, they are all there. That church is all there uh, for Paul and his party. What a great, great blessing. What a great thing for us to do today uh, for those who are going through struggles. We have experienced that so many times in our lives with so many wonderful disciples, so many wonderful churches, uh, just gathering together and praying uh, when there's tough things that you're going through. What a blessing. Uh, after saying goodbye, uh, verse 6 says, um, we, uh, we boarded the ship and they all went home. And that's, and that's this life, isn't it? There's nothing fabulous about it. There's nothing incredible about it. You know, you do what you can, but you keep living. And, that, and that's what they did. Um, what else to do other than just go home? I think of that man uh, the man who was possessed by the legion of demons that encountered uh, Jesus in Mark chapter 5, wanting to go with him after Jesus healed him. And Jesus said, no, 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 you go home. Um, you go home and you tell everybody that knows you and knows how you've been all these years uh, and sees you now. You, you tell them how that happened. You tell them about, about me. And, and that's what these people were going to do. They just decided... Um, uh, they, they knew they couldn't go with Paul, and so they, they went home. Well, it's a, it's a great, great thing as we see Paul continuing on, and now he's going to go to this very important Roman city of, of Caesarea. It was basically the headquarters. It was an administrative center and uh, a very important place, and Paul is going to find himself here again later and actually here for a while in Caesarea, a couple of years, waiting for uh, the, the green light to be sent uh, to Rome to appear before uh, the emperor in his appeal. Uh, but that's later. We're not even arrested yet. That's going to come after that. 
So uh, let's start reading in Acts 21, verse 7. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Again, more interaction with fellow disciples. Everywhere he goes, now that he's established, these are established churches, um, again, the church has been around now for over 20 years, and Paul himself has been a Christian for about that long, about 20 years, probably converted after the church had been uh, going on for about five years or so. Um, and, and now he's this great missionary, great leader, is uh, beginning to write some uh, and uh, letters to churches. Um, it's just an amazing story. Um, and yet, everywhere he goes, uh, he receives some encouragement. And everywhere they go, they need that encouragement. Um, and that's what happens. They stay with the brothers and sisters there. They greet them. Uh, leaving the next day, verse 8, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So if you take a look at your handy-dandy Bible map, you see that city of Caesarea, just a little bit north and west of Jerusalem on the Mediterranean coast. And a very, again, a very significant, very important city for the Roman Empire of the first century. Uh, but when Paul gets there, he, he stays at the home of Philip the Evangelist. And we remember Philip, right? Uh, Philip was one of the seven, Luke reminds us. Uh, in Acts chapter 6, remember the first big conflict in the church? There were some widows who were from a Hellenistic or Greek background, still Jews, but uh, not from Judea likely. They were there perhaps for Pentecost and stayed. Uh, but they were there and they, um, uh, they were from a, a more Greek background, a Hellenistic background. And uh, uh, they, they were being neglected. And the church was in an uproar about it. And they go to the apostles and they say, you guys need to fix this. And the apostles say, wait a minute, we don't need to fix this. We are committed to our ministry, the the preaching of the gospel, the word, uh, prayer, we're, that's, that's our calling. But this is an important thing. This is an important need. As we talked about that conflict model of relationship versus issue, both are significant. Both are absolutely important here. But there's typically when you see something like that, as we have said there in Acts 6 and Acts 15 at the Jerusalem conference and other places, there's more than just one option. Um, they come to the apostles and elders and they say, hey, you guys need to fix this. And they say, no, 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 no. We, that, that's not the only choice here. You're not, you're not deciding between two options only. One is to neglect the widows. The other is to neglect the apostles' ministry so that they could help the widows. But they said, look, there's other options here. Let's find seven spiritually-minded men, men who are full of the Spirit, uh, men who will be connected with these ladies, as their names might indicate, and and men who can be relied upon to, uh, to carry out this very important task. And so Philip is one of those seven. Another one was Stephen, who uh, was not just a, a wonderful servant and helped take care of these uh, of these widows, but also was a great speaker and a great preacher and a very very powerful man. And it cost him his life uh, as the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 7, this wonderful sermon that he recounts the history of the Jews and then points his finger at them, the ones that were there still in Jerusalem, and said, you, you killed him. Just like your ancestors killed the prophets, you killed the Messiah. Um, and they didn't like the sound of that, and so they stoned him uh, to death. Well, 
This is that Philip. He was also one of those seven. It's the same guy in Acts chapter 8 who was called when everyone was scattered and they went everywhere preaching the word. Philip was one of those. And where he went preaching the word was in the province just to the north of Judea, where Ju Jerusalem and Bethlehem are, to the province of Samaria, uh, the outcast Samaritans, the kind of felt like a half-breed, uh, enemies of Orthodox Jews, wouldn't even talk to him. Uh, Jesus did, as you know from John 4, talking to the Samaritan woman. Philip did, went there and converted a lot of them, uh, baptizing them in Acts chapter 8. And then later on, the Spirit calls him to this chariot where this Ethiopian official who was returning home from having worshipped with the Jews in Jerusalem um, the, the Spirit tells him, I want you to go get in on that discussion. And he's been reading Isaiah 53, and Philip joins him and, and talks to him from starting from there about Jesus. And along the way, the, the Ethiopian eunuch sees some water and says, hey, what's keeping me from, baptize, from being baptized? And sure enough, uh, Philip baptizes him. Uh, and it's a great, great story there in Acts chapter 8. Well, we see another indication of this important man in the New Testament, Philip. Uh, we see that he has daughters who are unmarried but are prophesying. They're prophet. These are extraordinary, miraculous gifts, as we've talked about, given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, as indicated in Acts chapter 8, also as indicated in Acts chapter 19, uh, that we saw when Paul met those um, disciples of John the Baptist from Ephesus on his way into town and baptized them and then laid his hands on them, and they began to receive uh, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, these these women, obviously, his daughters, were able to do that. Uh, and uh, and Philip referred to as the evangelist. Philip the evangelist. What a great, wouldn't it be great if, if that's how people described us? Um, because we were willing, so willing, to share the story. Uh, next uh, week, we're going to get to look at Acts chapter 22. And that first time, We'll also see it in Acts 26 where Paul shares the story, but he does it by sharing his own story. I think that's how it's done, and we'll talk about that, but not till Tuesday. Want to, but we'll wait. Um, we'll wait. Uh, so we continue on. Uh, that's where uh, Paul and his party are going to stay while they're in Caesarea at the home of Philip the Evangelist. Um, verse 10, after we had been there a number of days in Caesarea, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So even though Judea and Jerusalem are south, remember they're on the coast. It's pretty flat there by the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Jerusalem built on hills. Uh, we've heard and sung that beautiful song taken from the Psalms as the mountains surround Jerusalem. Um, uh, so the Lord will surround us. Surround us, O Lord. Uh, great, great song. We sing it a lot here. Um, Agabus, this prophet, comes down from Jerusalem, from the high country of Judea. Uh, coming over to us, verse 11, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Very much like the Old Testament prophets that would be very graphic, very concrete, uh, using symbolism, using their own family, as, I as Isaiah did, his own children, uh, became signs uh, and a part of the prophecies that he shared uh, with the kings of his day. Uh, here, Agabus, this man, we've met him before. Um, he's going to uh, be the guy that, uh, in Acts chapter 11, we think it's the same guy, 
who, uh, who told the church at Antioch of Syria there's going to be famine in the land, and they sent Paul and Barnabas on the first mission journey. It was a benevolent mission journey. Uh, and they go, and it, it seems likely to me anyway that this is the same Agabus. I don't know that we can know that for sure, but it seems likely. Uh, and so Agabus says, Paul, you're going to be bound. He takes Paul's own belt and, uh, and binds him. And he says, in, in this same way, um, just like I've used your belt to tie my own hands, um, you're, you're going to be bound. Um, uh, and it's not, it's not going to be good. Um, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Again, that's what he's been hearing all along, and now Agabus is prophetically through the Holy Spirit uh, showing him, not just telling him, showing him this is what's going to happen. When we heard this, verse 12, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. You've heard this song before, right? <laughs> it's not going to be successful. Then Paul answered, verse 13, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What a powerful statement. Um, words that he really meant and words that ultimately would be fulfilled. When we, he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. That's the right thing to pray. We had that in one of our Lord's Prayer sermons just a couple of weeks ago. Thy will be done. I hope that's how you pray. I hope as you ask the Lord to bless you, uh, that, that you are able to ask him uh, to uh, fulfill his will for you and not just your will by being able to, um, uh, to pray, thy will be done. Not mine, but yours be done. Uh, great, great prayer uh, from the, the, the members of the church there in Caesarea. Um, and you need to be praying that about everything that's going on in our land today. And, uh, and do your part to try to figure out what that is and to help make it happen. Um, and so verse 15, after this, we started in our, on our way up to Jerusalem. Maybe Agabus went with them. That's where he had come from. Who knows? Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. Uh, don't you know they had fun swapping stories? Uh, maybe Paul had been a Christian as long as Manasseh, maybe not. Uh, but he was an early disciple uh, from Cyprus. Uh, could be that he was converted because of Paul's uh, persecution that he led before his conversion when everyone was scattered and went everywhere preaching the word. Uh, perhaps he was converted early on before that, that time while the, the church was growing in Jerusalem. Um, and so we're going to continue uh, going. You know, Paul is steadfastly going to Jerusalem. Everywhere he goes, they tell him, don't go, don't go. It's going to be bad for you. It's going to be hard for you. But he says, look, I'm ready for whatever happens. The Lord's will be done. I'm ready. And in the same way, we remember Jesus um, in the latter part of his ministry as uh, Luke records in chapter 18 and John in chapter 11, he set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem, knowing full well that he would be betrayed and arrested and uh, convicted and beaten and crucified. Uh, Jesus steadfastly went to Jerusalem. That's exactly what Paul seems to be doing here as well. And so now we're going to go to Jerusalem. 
uh, in Acts 21, beginning at verse uh, 17. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. What a wonderful thing. I'm sure Paul was a bit anxious about that, knowing that he had enemies of the Jews everywhere who refused to accept Jesus as the Messiah. Um, but they received him warmly, his brothers and sisters in the Lord. The next day, after being accepted by these Christians, the next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Notice James is still a leader of the church. He's not an elder. Uh, well, he may be an elder. He's not uh, an apostle uh, because this isn't James, the brother of John. He was killed, uh, the first uh, apostle killed for the faith in Acts 12. Um, this is James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. And we saw his leadership already uh, there in Jerusalem in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem conference. It's, this is one of several instances in the New Testament where Paul specifically mentions, I, I went to see James. And when he is talking in, Act, in 1 Corinthians 15 about the ones who were witnesses of the resurrection, he mentions James, uh, that he was one of those who saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. Um, and James, the writer of the book of James, and again, still after all this time, uh, a leader in the church uh, at Jerusalem. Uh, Paul mentions him specifically in verse 18, and then they told the story. They told all the stories of everything that had happened, all the great things that God was doing, all the suffering and persecution, I'm sure, that they and the members of the churches where they had been uh, were going through, such as Thessalonica um, and other places. Verse 20, when they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. Now that's a little bit surprising, right? We didn't expect him to say the law there. We expected him to say or zealous for the Lord, maybe, or zealous for the gospel. But that's not what they say. They say, look, there's a lot of, of thousands of Jews that are, that are being turned over to Jesus as the Messiah. They, they love him. They are baptized. They, they are a part of the church, but they're still zealous for the law. They, they are still Jews. And unless it contradicts the gospel and the teaching of what they're hearing from the prophets that will ultimately become our New Testament, um, they, they continue to be Jews and to worship the one true and living God uh, according to their Jewish culture. They don't do anything that violates uh, the, the uh, commands of Christ and the apostles, but they're still Jews. And they're still very zealous for the law. They're accepting the Gentiles, and James and the others are going to go on and remind Paul of that. Verse 21, they have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. True or not true? Well, that's kind of a trick question. Uh, there's a bit of truth there. Um, there you know, obviously, they were telling them to, to, that you don't have to follow the law simply because it's the law anymore. Circumcision is not essential for salvation anymore. Paul was clear about that at the Jerusalem conference in Acts 15. Um, and so verse 22 continues. What are, what are we going to do about this? They're, they're followers of Christ too, and yet they hear these things about you. Paul's not telling them, don't worry, don't, uh, don't be concerned about 
your culture. Don't be concerned about your background. Don't be concerned about the law. And he's about to demonstrate it. Uh, verse 22 of Acts 21. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. It's kind of hard to uh, figure out if uh, they're concerned about Jews or they're concerned about Jewish Christians, and I think the answer to that is probably both. Uh, obviously, this thing with the Gentiles and this uh, having to realize that the law is not required, that, that it, it fulfilled its purpose now, as Paul tells the Galatians, it was a schoolmaster, a tutor to lead us to Christ, and now that Christ has come, we don't need that, that schoolmaster, that tutor anymore. Um, circumcision is not essential for salvation, and that's a big, big thing. As we've said, 2000 BC is when God gave that uh, covenant to Abraham, and the Jews had been very serious with it ever since, and had fought battles over that. And and now Paul is saying, and and the Holy Spirit is leading others to say, this this is no longer essential. Um, and so, what do we do? They ask. They know that you're here, and they know that this is what you've been not only teaching but practicing. Uh, others had as well, but Paul, of course, is the one that they would be after because he was initially one of the leaders of the opposition of, to Christianity. What shall we do, verse 22? They will certainly hear that you have come. So, do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Perhaps a Nazarite vow, according to the, the uh, uh, Old Testament, it talks about uh, Nazarite vows in the book of Numbers in chapter 6, and it could have been that. Uh, take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Now, as you know, that was a part of the Nazarite vow, abstain from any uh, uh, fruit of the vine, uh, don't cut your hair during the period of the vow, all of that. Uh, Take these men, verse 24, join in their purification rites and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth to these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we've written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. <laughs> Remember everything that Paul has been through already. This is his third mission journey, and the first with Barnabas, the second and third with Silas and Timothy and others, and, and nearly every place he has experienced suffering for the cause of Christ. Uh, to the Corinthians, especially in 2 Corinthians, he would tell them, look, I, I bear in my body the marks of, of the Lord. I, I've suffered, and he lists this catalog list of all of the persecution that he has endured. Um, and so now he comes to Jerusalem, and they say, look, we really want you to try to do more to, to appease some of these Jewish brothers and maybe some of these Jewish Christians. And if I'm Paul, I want to say, forget it. <laughs> forget it. If they're not on board now, then just forget it. There's nothing I can do. I, I, can't, I can't prove my devotion to God any more than I've already done. But to his great credit... Uh, the Apostle Paul listens to the counsel of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And here's what happens. Verse 26, the next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. So Paul is going to pay their way. He's going to join them in this Jewish vow. 
and he's going to do it for the sake of, of appeasing uh, those other brothers in the Jewish uh, culture. Uh, it's a it's a great it, it's that accommodation. Remember when the issue is not all that important, but the relationship is you accommodate. He had uh, Timothy circumcised in Acts uh, chapter sixteen. Why? Because he wanted to accommodate it, uh, those that they would be serving with and working with. Um, and so it's it's exactly what he says in First Corinthians nine when he says, "Look to the Jew, I became a Jew; to the Greek, I became a Greek." To the slave, I became a slave. To the free, free, I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Those great words in 1 Corinthians 9, verses uh, 20, 19 through 23. And that's, what he's, that's all he's doing here. Why? Because the issue doesn't matter. For Paul, he says, I could take this vow. I could not take this vow. It's not going to affect my salvation at all. Uh, it's a bit annoying I would think that perhaps he's a, a little bit annoyed that after everything he's been through, they want him to do this. But again, to his credit, he says, you know, I, I love my Jewish brothers. I want them all to come to know Christ. He says that specifically in the book of Romans, in that great section in Romans 9 through 11. Um, I wish that I would be accursed if it meant their salvation. That's how strongly he felt about it. He loves his, his brothers and sisters in Christ who are from a Jewish background. And he knows, he knows that this would help. Uh, they would realize that he hasn't pushed away his history. He hasn't pushed away his culture. Uh, he will always be a Jew. That's, that's, his, that's who he is. But now he's a Jewish Christian. And what Paul tells others uh, faced with these same questions in Romans chapters, especially chapters 14 and 15, and in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 and 10, he says, look, let's talk about rights. As a Christian, you have the right to give up your rights. You have the right to do what you don't necessarily want to do, but what, what will help others uh, in their faith and not be a, a stumbling block or, or not, not be a bump in the road for them in their walk of faith. And so that's what he does. He takes part in this. It's not something he had to do, but it's something that he does in order to help others perhaps see that this gospel is something that they might want and that Paul cares about them. And he cares about his heritage and he cares about their faith. Well, we continue reading in verse 27 of Acts uh, 21. We still have a, a, a few more minutes. When the seven days were nearly over, he stayed there, uh, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. This is exactly what they were trying to avoid, and it didn't work. It's a nice try, though, uh, but it didn't work. Uh, they came from Asia, not Asia at the continent, but Asia, that Roman province, on the far western part of, of what we call Turkey, uh, where they were, the city of Ephesus was, Colossae, other places, uh, and they had seen Paul there. And they knew that he had some people with him who were from there uh, and some of the other places where Paul had stopped. And these were men who were not necessarily Jews, um, but they were Christians. This is the man, verse 28, who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place, probably talking about the temple that Herod had built for them. 
And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. Now Luke's going to give us an aside and say that's not true. But that's what they thought. Verse 29, they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian, this man from Ephesus who had accompanied Paul and Silas uh, from there with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Luke implies that wasn't the case, but that's what they assumed. Simply because he was a part of Paul's uh, group, a part of his team now, he must have taken him in the temple. That's not necessarily true. Uh, verse 30, the whole city, the whole city of Jerusalem was aroused. And the people came running from all directions. Oh yeah, you start messing with their law, messing with their temple. We saw how that worked for Jesus. That's about how they're feeling uh, right now. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. That's what was going on. And it wasn't the Romans who were beating him. It was his brethren. It was the Jews. They had crucified Christ. They had stoned uh, Stephen to death. And now they had it in their mind that they were going to kill Paul. And they were beating him. Why? Because they, they didn't like this Christianity thing, this sect, this way as they called it. Um, they didn't like it at all. And they didn't like that Paul was teaching these Gentiles that they didn't have to become Jews. And so they uh, have him, they, they drag him out of the temple, they shut the gates of the temple so that, so that they can protect their sacred place, uh, just like the Jewish leaders that crucified Christ. Unbelievable. Uh, they pay Judas 30 pieces of silver to betray him. Judas has a has a bit of a change of heart, not enough to truly repent, but he takes the money and he throws it back at them, saying, I don't want your blood money anymore. And then he goes off and hangs himself. And so the Jewish leaders look at each other and they say, hey, we've got these 30 pieces of silver. We can't really, it would be against our law to, to just put it into the treasury. Oh, now you're concerned about the law? Now you're concerned about what God thinks after crucifying an innocent man that you knew was innocent? Um, that's the same thing that we see here. Oh, let's protect our sacred law. Let's protect our sacred place. But let's beat this man till he dies, uh, even though he could be innocent. The Roman commander is the guy who is called on the scene. And again, Caesarea, uh, now uh, in Jerusalem, these are important cities uh, to the Jews, ultimately, uh, to the Jews and the Romans. Ultimately, Paul would be sent back to Caesarea because of this very thing, the threats on his life, uh, if he stays in Jerusalem. Uh, verse 33, the commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another, and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. And so Paul is already being beaten by the Jews, and now the Roman officer figures he must have done something, so he has him arrested, uh, partly to protect him, but partly also because he must have done something criminal. They're all shouting things at this commander. This is what he's done. He has no right to live. He still can't get to the truth. Um, and so, verse 35, when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great 
He had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him, rid the earth of him, some versions say. Uh, this man deserves to die. This man is not fit to live, is what they're saying. And these are the Jews. Again, just like they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas, this man who is a convicted murderer. When Pilate wanted to give one of them away because it was the Passover, and that's what they typically did. No, 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 not Jesus, Barabbas, Barabbas. Cruci what about Jesus? Crucify him, crucify him. Here they're saying something very similar. Get rid of him, rid the earth of him. Um, and this commander, this Roman commander, he's just wanting to, you know, they're all there, this Pax Romana, this Roman peace, that's all they cared about. They weren't interested in, in, uh, in making sure that justice was served. They just wanted things to calm down. Um, and so, verse 37, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? At least he could still speak, even though he had been beaten and now was arrested in the hands of the Romans. He asked him, could I, could I ask you something? And the man, the commander, I think, is a bit surprised. And he says, do you speak Greek? And, of course, Paul does. He's a very learned man. He has been, really, traveled the world uh, for the cause of Christ. Uh, he speaks Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, more than likely. Um, probably Latin, too. Verse 38, aren't you the Egyptian, the commander asks him, who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? This commander has no idea who he is and what's going on. All he knows is there's a, there's, there's a big riot going on under his jurisdiction, and he's not going to have it. Verse 39, Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to, this, to the people. Uh, Tarsus was a very important city, just like Caesarea, just like Jerusalem. But in the Roman Empire, Tarsus and Caesarea were very significant. Um, and, and what we're going to find out later is that Paul is from a very significant family. He is not only a Jew, but a Roman and a Roman citizen and a Roman citizen from birth, which means his, his parents, at least one of them, likely his father, probably both, uh, were Roman citizens in Tarsus, his hometown. And, um, and so he is, he is going to play that card because he realizes it's the only thing that he can do to save his life. Um, I am a Jew, verse 39, from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, now listen to my defense. When he speaks to this Roman officer, uh, this commander, he speaks in Greek. But when he's going to speak to his Jewish brothers, he speaks in Aramaic. This language uh, from the exile on, perhaps, uh, this language that was very familiar uh, to the Jewish nation. And, and Paul is going to tell his story. He's going to uh, make his defense in Acts 22 to this Roman commander, but also to the people, to the Jews that were there. He sees it as an opportunity to share the story, to share the gospel. But here's what will happen, and we're going to get to see this incredible chapter, Acts 22, next Tuesday, Lord willing. Paul says, I, I have a story to tell you. It is the story. It is the gospel story. And I'm going to share that story with you by sharing my story. Paul tells the story by telling 
his story. In Acts 9, Luke records the narrative of when Paul was converted, when he saw Jesus on that road to Damascus, when Jesus tells him, uh, identifies himself, and then tells him, go into the city and you'll find out what you need to do from here. And in the city, he instructs Ananias to go to him and to baptize Paul and to tell him what's ahead for him. And that's exactly what Luke records in Acts chapter 9. And that's exactly what Paul is going to tell us in Acts chapter 22. And that will be a great, great lesson. Uh, finally in Jerusalem, finally at the end of this third mission journey, arrested uh, and unfortunately not able to go back to his home congregation in Antioch. But here is when Paul's mission journeys in. Not his journeys, though, because he will continue to preach the gospel wherever he goes, under arrest or a free man. He will continue to uh, witness for the Lord, even on that, uh, that dangerous and exciting journey uh, by ship, by several ships, uh, from, um, uh, from Jerusalem, ultimately uh, going uh, to Rome, having appealed to Caesar um, in Caesarea to the Romans. He will ultimately get on a boat and a very dangerous ship, including a shipwreck on an uncharted island, you might say, not quite uncharted, but ultimately before Caesar in Rome. Um, that first journey with Barnabas in modern-day Turkey, uh, that second and third journeys with Silas and Timothy and others, uh, crossing into Asia, or into Europe, crossing into Greece, modern-day Greece, Macedonia and Achaia, and then ultimately he will go uh, to Italy and witness before um, the emperor himself um, at the end of the book of Acts. I'm excited about what's ahead. I'm excited about this journey we're taking with the Apostle Paul, and I appreciate very much you taking it with me. Uh, thank you for being a part of these studies. I hope that you can join us on Sunday as we begin a new study in the book of Philippians, um, uh, Finding Joy in Difficult Times. That's a great epistle of joy that Paul writes from jail. And then on Tuesday, next week, we'll read this incredible chapter and hear Paul tell his story and be challenged ourselves to remember our own story and, and share that with others. I plan on telling you my conversion story on Tuesday in the same way. God bless you. Uh, God bless uh, our great land. Uh, God bless the church for which Jesus died. Uh, amen.